Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is found in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. My name is Lauren Curtell, and I've been attending MPC for about three years now, um, and I currently serve here on the worship team. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed on his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let me add my... Welcome. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at MPC, and it's a privilege to bring God's word this morning. Just wanted to give a brief giving update. If you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've let you know where we've been as a church. Just so you know, we do operate on a June 30 fiscal year. So December 31st isn't that big of a deal, but it is a helpful marker for us, a helpful indication of uh, the health of our, our church or our meeting our budget. So as of close of business Friday, we were about $500,000 uh, behind our budget for the year. So we give typically uh, annually about a fourth of of our annual giving comes in the month of December. So that's why we've been highlighting that for the last couple weeks. So we're, we're so thankful that we've uh, closed that gap over the last uh, couple weeks. But I just wanted to give you <clears throat> that update. But setting that family business uh, to one side, let's go now to God's word. Today, we want to look ahead at the world to come. We want to peer across the horizon and bring some of that world into ours. And it's appropriate uh, on New Year's almost to think about the future that God has for us. As James said a few weeks ago in a sermon, the future is so certain it can be written as history. And that phrase really resonated with me as I prepared this sermon the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, We've just celebrated Advent as a church together. Hopefully you enjoyed our Advent series where we contemplated the mystery of an eternal God taking on human flesh in the fullness of time. And despite knowing the journey, despite knowing where it leads, he embraced it. 
He knew of the agony that awaited him on the cross, but he chose it anyway for the joy set before him. That's you and that's me. And so we know that there will be parts uh, of our future that are scary too. There is pain that lies ahead maybe in 2019. But what if we could see visions of not just a possible future, but a specific future, our own? I don't know, would that give you courage? Would that be a blessing or a curse if you could pull our future into our present? There's a lot to unpack in these verses, but in particular, we're going to focus a lot this morning on verse 8. Let me read it again. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. These words are certain. Not might be or will be or, or maybe, but but will will be. And if we get this vision of, of our future, then we can face anything that 2019 throws at us. So I don't know what's awaiting you in this new year, but whatever it is, we can face it together. Before we come to this passage, let's bow our heads together and pray. Merciful Father, we submit ourselves to you and to your word. Give each one of us the humility to acknowledge that all too often we don't know what is best. We don't know how, what to say or how to respond. And so would you give us the humility to admit that we need help? We need insight from you, our creator, right now. We need you to open our eyes that we might see. And so help us, Spirit, not only to understand what this passage means, but what it means for us, for our lives. Would you do this by your grace and for your glory? Amen. So we have arrived in our final sermon of our Advent series, which we've called Light the Way. And this is an epilogue of sorts. It's the end of one series and a prelude uh, to the next. And so today, we're asking questions about the future. Like the disciples, we're curious. What is the future going to look like? What is our mission this side of the incarnation, this side of the cross? And can we be certain of God's plans for us? And we'll find in this text that Jesus answers their questions and ours, but perhaps not in the way that we would have expected. We just might find that our plans are too small for 2019. Our vision for the next year may not be all that God has intended for it to be. And so this morning, our passage gives us three truths we need to face 2019, direction, power, and hope. Before we get to those headings, let's make sure we have a lay of the land, uh, understanding the context, a little bit of Acts. I'm sure uh, a few of you perhaps have binge watched some content over the last couple days, and so maybe it'll help to put it this way. Uh, Luke is like season one, 
episode one is, you know, chapters one and two, all right? And now we're in Acts. So these books go together. This is like season two, episode one. So if Luke's first book, season one, if you will, uh, was about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, we see that in the first two verses, uh, then this second book, this second volume is concerned about all that Jesus continues to do and teach. But this time from his position of authority as the risen Lord reigning over all things. And Luke tells us at the beginning of Luke Acts, this two-volume anthology, that his goal in writing to his readers was that we would know the certainty of the events that he records. And so this is no fake news story. Luke intends for us to read this with a, a historical accuracy. And we can have confidence in the words of these books. Why? Because Jesus has appeared to them after the resurrection and he has given them proofs. He's been te- teaching them, speaking about the kingdom of God. That's one of the major themes of these two books, the kingdom of God. And so we ask, what, what is a good definition of the kingdom of God? One of my seminary professors, John Frame, puts it this way. The kingdom of God is God's work in history by which he overcomes all his opponents and establishes his righteousness on earth. Jesus is teaching his followers about all that God has done in history and will do in the future to establish his rule and reign, to bring his true peace and make things truly right. So it's into this context, the resurrected Jesus teaching them about the kingdom of God that we see the disciples' question in verse 6. Look with me in uh, this passage. Look, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You can almost hear the impatience behind their question. When is your inauguration? And you know, as DC people, we think about the future probably more uh, than most. No sooner are the 2018 elections over that we're looking ahead to 2020. Like the disciples, we know that our minds often go to the future. And so we need to hear the answer that Jesus gives them. The first thing Jesus' answer provides for his uh, first followers and for us as well is direction. First thing Jesus' answer provides for his followers is direction. And it's not actually what they would have expected. It's, it's, not, um, it's not what they would, would have expected. Jesus says to them, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the apostles have come to Jesus and asked him, Are you going to do this now? And his response to them in verse 8 is, is actually, I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. Will, will you do this? Will you be my representatives, my witnesses? But his followers seem only to be primarily concerned with their national identity, their national heritage. So they say to Jesus, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And that reminded me of uh, one of my favorite 
Christmas movies growing up, Ben-Hur, Christmas movie. Uh, there's a manger scene, uh, wise men, you see Jesus growing up. Uh, trust me, it's more Christmas than Die Hard, okay? Um, but it's the story of a Jewish prince who's the contemporary of Jesus, about the same age, about the same time, same region. And this, slave, this uh, man, this prince is enslaved by the Romans. And of course, we know he eventually becomes Charlton Heston, the charioteer. And there's a great article in, in Slate about uh, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur was a, a Jewish William Wallace, bent on freeing Judea from its Roman oppressors. But when he arrives to the Holy Land, he encounters a rabbi from Nazareth, a man promising not an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. And in the book, it's, it's more pronounced. Ben-Hur is one of the best-selling books of all time. And there's a scene where Ben-Hur is literally at the top of a mountain looking down on the crucifixion. And he's amassed this large militia, and he is ready to come in and, and swoop down and rescue Jesus from the cross. But he realizes that that's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's more than just restoring a, a political Israel or restoring the people to the land. What he's trying to say is, back to our story, actually you will be my witness, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What Jesus is trying to tell his disciples is when it comes to the future, you have a task. You have a mission. Yes, I will be at work, but I will be at work through you. And your task, your mission is to be a witness to the world. And so if we wanted to put it in the language of our Advent series, Light the Way, Jesus is saying, these are your marching orders. Now that you have seen the light of the world. Go and share that light with the world, with others. And that responsibility should humble us. I love the expansiveness of where Jesus is calling his disciples to go and share that light. Look with me. Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of their religious community. Judea, which was the the people, the place that had rejected our Lord. Samaria, which were those uh, spiritual but not religious folks to the north. And then, just in case we missed anyone, to the end of the earth, every other place, every worldview. So Jesus says to his, his disciples, your thoughts and your plans are too small. I'm going to use you to expand my kingdom to the world in greater ways than you could have ever dreamed or imagined. And I love the certainty of these words, will be my witnesses. Not I'd like you to be my witnesses or it sure would be great if you would be my witnesses, but you will be my witnesses. Because the truth is someone who has experienced the resurrected Christ shares it with others. And so a question for us all this morning is, is, does that describe us? Because Jesus is saying that it's, it's not optional. We are either faithful or 
false witnesses. And so do our actions, the way we live our lives at work or at home, do they testify to that reality? And so we know in order to be a faithful witness, we're going to need something more than we have in and of ourselves. And Jesus' answer to his followers' questions about the future not only gives them direction, but it also gives them the power that they need. And so the second point here is the power. Look at verses 4 and 5. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. We always think of Jesus saying, go, go, go. But here we see that Jesus orders them not to depart until what? Until he sends the Spirit. And again in verse 8, we see before he gives them direction, he makes it clear that they will have a power that equips and enables them to do this work. Verse 8, you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so one of the very implications of verse 8 is that we are powerless before the Spirit comes. In and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes. We are a city where people prize and idolize competency, achievement, capability. I'm sure there are only a few more uh, places in the world that have more terminal degrees than, than our city. I mean, Amazon obviously chose us for their second headquarters. And Jesus says to his first followers, to his followers in this uber-competent and overqualified city, you need something more than you alone can bring to the table. And the good news of the gospel is that he gives his followers what they need. Even before his, his death and resurrection, in John 16, Jesus spoke about the time when he would depart. And he says that, in fact, it would be better that he leaves so that he can send the helper, the Holy Spirit, that he might come to bring comfort and discernment and power. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity, not some magical or mysterious force, but a person. And those who have placed their faith in Christ receive that person when they make that profession. And so to apply this to to our lives, we weren't given the Holy Spirit to live in fear or uncertainty. So if we really understand the ascension, if we really understood the power that Jesus gave us, how would we then live our lives? There was a great question uh, from someone on the Gospel Coalition I was reading. They said, if, if I were to ask you whether you would rather have Jesus beside you or the Spirit inside you, which do you think most of you would choose? And doesn't that show us how far apart we are from understanding this power that Jesus gave to us? Jesus himself said, it would be better that I leave so that I can send to you the Spirit. And so what does is, what is the work of the Spirit do in our lives? The Spirit helps us to grow deeper in our relationship with God. It helps 
the Spirit helps us through the Scriptures to discern the will of God. The Spirit points us to Jesus as a model for our character and godliness. The Spirit helps us discern paths of wisdom that God would have us take. And then finally, wherever we are, whatever stage of life, whatever our past, the Spirit enables us to rest in God's grace. So the good news that was proclaimed at the incarnation and at the ascension is you have all you need in the gospel already. And since you have all you need, then you can have hope, whatever the new year brings. And so this is our third point, hope. We see this hope in verses 9 through 11. And how can we be certain of this hope in these last verses of our passage? A startling scene unfolds. Maybe some of the same angels who had been at Jesus' birth at the incarnation appeared again to his disciples and as Jesus was lifted up and taken out of their sight. And we see the disciples' reaction. They're just flabbergasted at what has gone on, looking up, gazing at heaven. And the angels appear to them and say, why, why are you looking up? He is coming back the same way that you saw him leave. <clears throat> now, if I were there and the angels had asked me uh, that question, I might have been tempted to say something like this. With all due respect, Mr. Bright and shiny angel man, Jesus was standing here and then all of a sudden he was lifted up into the clouds. We're still trying to process it a little bit, give us a little bit of time. But what we see behind the angel's question to them is a marching order. Stop looking up. If they were southern angels, they'd be saying something like this. Go on now, get Jesus is in heaven ruling and reigning and he's coming back. He's given us direction. He's given us power. He's given us hope. And these three truths lead us to two consequences for our lives today. They are that we're called to get to work and to enjoy our rest. Get to work and enjoy our rest. These are two applications of these passage, this passage for our lives. And by the way, Jesus seems to have no problem calling his people to inherent tensions, right? In dying, we find life. In giving, we receive. And then here we see get to work and yet enjoy your rest, this passage reminded me of uh, a famous quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He says, quote, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. And then here's the famous part of the quote. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And so what is this work that God has called us to? We've 
defined our work as a church, making disciples who make a difference through grace-filled worship, community, and missions. So if you open up your worship guide to page 11, you'll see the three big rocks for 2019. And so these are your marching orders, MPC. This is our strategy for reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the world, McLean, Fairfax, Northern Virginia, and the world. It's to keep on, keep on keeping on to make disciples through our day-to-day ministries that we would see grace change everything. Multi-site is coming soon. It's a parallel path to church planning and multi-site that our church would worship in multiple times at multiple locations, just like we're doing right now in the fellowship hall. And our next site in Fairfax is coming early in this new year. And then building expansion, a final building project to help balance our, our current needs, to provide a secure place for our children, to be able to have adult education classes on our own campus instead of Cooper Middle School, which is undergoing uh, construction soon. And then, of course, parking. We all know uh, parking is an issue often as well. So this is what we believe God has called us as a church to do in 2019. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to ask you a question. Is, Is what you're doing, is your work eternal? Are you certain? Because you will be working towards something in this next year. But how much more could you face life knowing the one who rules the universe rules it for you? And so Jesus's invitation to you this morning is to join us in our work of multiplication, that we would be able to share this light that we have received with the world. The second consequence of this passage is that we would enjoy our rest. We have everything we need to face 2019. We have power by the Holy Spirit who gives us hope in the future. And so would these words ring true in 2019 from Romans 15? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And the good news of the gospel The joy of this passage is that it's not up to us. It's not up to us to accomplish all of these things. It is up to the true, ultimate, faithful witness that Revelation 1 talks about. The firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is Jesus. And it is by his grace that he invites us in to this incredible journey. He lets us join in his ruling and resting. And so for those who believe in Jesus, rest, because everything has already been taken care of. And if this morning you find yourself feeling restless, uncertain for 2019, believe upon Jesus Christ and you will find rest. And then join us in our work here at MPC. If you make uh, New Year's resolutions, here's, here's one perhaps to add. Resolve that we will rely on the Holy Spirit in 2019 and rest in the finished work 
of Jesus Christ. So sermon in a sentence, the future is so certain it can be written as history. So let us let that promise allow us as a church to work hard and to rest hard in 2019 because the results are up to God who gives us direction, power, and hope for this new year. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, our prayer as we leave here today is that we would be empowered by the Spirit to do more in the midst of our circumstances than we might dream or imagine. Thank you for giving us direction and not leaving us aimlessly wandering, looking up to the sky. And so would you show us what it means to see you ruling and reigning in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Would you help us to have direction? Help us to have the power. Help us to have the hope that we can face anything in this life and especially our futures. King Jesus, we see you high and lifted up and pray that you would let these truths sink into our souls, that we can get to work and enjoy your rest. Amen.